Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You know what I believe? I believe the Word of God. I think I'm just going to stay anchored down on this thing and be like, Lord, I don't... But this is what my heart longs for is truth and righteousness and safety, just healthiness in the sense of like people who are united together as one in Christ Jesus being able to come together and worship as one. There can be so many things in this world that can speak to our minds and spirits. If we end up hearing too many, we end up getting confused and not knowing what to do. In today's message, Pastor James will be sharing about knowing the truth of God and letting that voice speak to you. When we drown out all of the other voices, we can listen to the truth of what God tells us and put our hope in that. In His truth, we'll find all the attributes that make Him good. We'll see love, peace, joy, and hope. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Zephaniah chapter 2 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Don't let pride take place within your heart. For this enemy, the Moabites and the Ammonites, their downfall is their pride. Pride is the one thing that like, people who have issues with pride are oftentimes not aware of it. And you see it in other people and you're disgusted by it. And yet, if you just turn the mirror around, you're like, oh wait, that's me. Like, oh, that's, it's a contagion, so to speak, that we all have to be on guard against. It does not do anything good. It's not edifying. It does not build you up. It actually destroys you, and it can destroy relationships. It gets in the way of growth. Okay, If it's a weed in a garden, it's one that chokes out the life of everything around it. you got to like pull that thing up from the roots. And you and I can't do that. We can own it, and we can acknowledge it, but it really has to be the Holy Spirit who dwells in you to uproot any prideful issues that you have. I've been very honest with you guys. The thing that I struggle with is pride. Not because I think I'm awesome. Not because I think I'm awesome. It's because I think I'm horrible. That's just pride from a different angle. It's just I'll I'll beat myself up all the time. That's just a reversal of pride. Like self-loathing and all that stuff. That's just pride that looks different from a different angle. I have to be on guard from pride, not because, well, certainly because if you have a platform, regardless of whatever, how big that platform is or whatever, you have to be on guard from that, thinking you're better or whatever, which I don't. But my issue is more of like looking down upon myself and putting terms or labels on myself that God has never placed upon me. So it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm great. No, I don't think that at all. I probably walk around most of the time thinking, I'm horrible. And not like in a godly way. Not in a, like a, yeah, like Paul would say, I'm the chief of all sinners. That wasn't him being prideful. That was just him being honest. But he's not like, woe is me. I'm the worst. God, why'd you pick me? Blah, blah, all this stuff. It's like, that's just another form of pride. Just be like, God, thank you for letting me do this. It's probably going to be a mess, but you picked me, 
and I'm going to give you the best I got, right? And he's like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I got when I got you. So just keep your eyes on me. Just keep your eyes on me. But those two different forms of pride always bring ruin with them. For this nation, it's the Lord's like going to show up, and he's like, I'll t- I'm just going to take you out. I'm going to take you out. Verse 11, he says, the Lord will be awesome to them. And not like the awesome we use, okay? Like in, you know, oh, that's so awesome, right? No, like awesome, like in like terrifying, like powerfully, like very intimidating. For he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place. Indeed, all the shores of the nations. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria, and make Nineveh a desolation. That actually was just about to happen historically. Like when Zephaniah prophesies this, he makes this prophecy, Nineveh's head was on the chopping block because Babylon had just risen to power and they were headed to dethrone the Assyrians who were the global domination power at this point in time. So God's like, I'm going to make Nineveh a desolation, as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst, every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern. I didn't go with my New Living Translation today, but that means something else. If you're like, what's a bittern? I knew what it was earlier today, but it's since it's escaped my mind. You guys can talk about it in discussion time. Um, but anyways, the also weird reference here is, is pelican, in which you're like, what, the, what in the world? A pelican in the Bible. There you go. They shall lodge on the capitals of her pillars. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold. For he will lay bare the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it. There is none besides me. How has she become a desolation, a place for every beast to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. Essentially, that's the destruction of Nineveh. 100, 120 years prior to this letter, Jonah was in Nineveh, and he told them, like, hey, you need to repent because God's going to wipe you out. And they were like, sackcloth and ashes for everybody. Let's do this. Didn't last. It worked for that one generation, but then another generation rose up, and they forgot all about that. And they thought, like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good because mom and dad were good. Like, we're, we're okay. We're okay. We don't have to worry about this destruction thing. That's silly. That's crazy. No, no, no. That got solved. Now we can live however we want to live. In fact, maybe even more wicked than our predecessors had lived. But we're going to be okay because God didn't destroy us then. He won't destroy us now. And God's like knocking on their door of like, hey, um, here I am. I warned you. And yeah, 100, 120 years has passed, but yeah, your magnificent city, you know, with the 100-foot walls, and it's so thick, you can have, you know, what's it, eight chariots or four chariots side by side driving down this thing, like, you're going down. And the whole time, Nineveh's like, there's no better city than us. There's no better place than us, right? Maybe a good warning for us Texans. We get a little prideful, right? Like, I mean, there's no better place in Texas. I mean, this is like, this is it. And God's like, well, um, like, uh, be careful. Chapter three, this is the last one. Here he goes from the, you know, for the, towards the nations. Now the focus is on, going to be on Jerusalem 
And then he, he, like other prophets in his day, will close out his letter with a nice positive note, which we like, right? Because you're like, hmm, destruction, sin, destruction, 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 destruction. Is there a happy note? There is at the end. It's, it's actually one of the most beautiful, absolutely beautiful moments in your entire Bible. Happens in Zephaniah. Okay? Absolutely, hands down. Verse 1, chapter 3. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. This is concerning Jerusalem, right? And this is, first seven verses are all about the rebellious ones. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary or they defiled the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. So here God is addressing the rebellious ones, and that's the leaders, and that's the priests, and that's everybody, basically. But in those first seven verses, God's like, here's my problem, Jerusalem. From your leaders to your priests, you guys are just completely in the face, in my own face, you're just like despising me. Flat out rebellion, flat out rebellion. Verse 8 through 13, though, you have a restoration that takes place. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then I will restore to the people a pure language. This pure language is technically like a proper thinking about God is what it, it technically is what that means. I don't have that written in this Bible. I don't know where that note went. Maybe it was earlier today. I wrote that thing down somewhere, but praise God that my memory still works. But he's going to restore to the people a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. So now we're going into like future end times type stuff, millennial kingdom, all nations coming together and worshiping God in one accord. From beyond the rivers of of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day, you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. 
perfect, beautiful environment to be in, right? Like, I think we would all take that. It seems like the environment we find ourselves living in today is just like, I mean, it's just, you don't know who to trust. Like, certainly if you turn on television, you're like, I, I don't believe anybody. I'm like, everybody's got an agenda. You know what I believe? I believe the word of God. I think I'm just going to stay anchored down on this thing and be like, Lord, I don't, but this is what I, my heart longs for is truth and righteousness and safety, just healthiness in the sense of like people who are united together as one in Christ Jesus, being able to come together and worship as one with no sin in the equation at all. And it just keeps getting better. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. Very similar to that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, make no mistake about it, it's not Josiah. It's the Lord who is the King of Israel. Is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands be weak. Verse 17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. My goodness, you have 25 I wills throughout Zephaniah, and they're all like bad. <laughs> it's all like, I'm going to knock you out. Like, that's what God's like, I'm taking you out. Like, this is what's going down. Then you get to verse 17, which again, I think is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the scriptures. The Lord your God in your midst, Emmanuel, God with us. The mighty one will save. He, he, not us. I've seen posts about this. People at worship concerts and things like that have like, oh, the glimpse of heaven, all of us coming together and singing together. I don't care about that stuff. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That pales in comparison to what this verse says. The whole crowd could be silent for all I care. He will rejoice over you with gladness. God Almighty rejoicing over his kids with gladness. Not like, you guys drive me nuts. You guys are, never listen to me. And No, he, it's with gladness that God Almighty will be rejoicing over his people. We don't see this picture of God anywhere. Certainly not outside the Bible and not according to like, you know, Whoever, you know, whether they be church people, pastors sometimes, seminary graduates, certainly the world, they like to portray God as like, well, he's just like distant and he's always angry. And like, well, yeah, he's angry at sin because he's a just God and he will come back and pour out his wrath on a, on a people who are deserving of that. That has to be, that's, that's the other side of the coin of love. 
But this is where it's like, in my heart, this is like, when that day, in his presence, he is rejoicing over us with gladness. It says, he will quiet you with his love. You want to know why there's no more tears in heaven, no more pain, no more sorrow. No, you, you want to know, like, well, how is that possible? It's because he's quieting you with his love. The peace de resistance, this, like, amazing, like, crescendo point of, like, he will rejoice over you with singing. God will be singing in heaven. I don't care what the crowd's singing. Let me hear that. Because I, I get it, man. You get to Revelation, you're like, the crowds are, I mean, everybody's singing the one song and the song of the Lamb, and it's beautiful, it's beautiful. But, well, I got goosebumps, man, because, like, I want to hear him singing. What if he's singing right now? Maybe this isn't a switch that God turns on and turns off. Maybe we're so distracted and we're so busy. Maybe we talk too much, says the preacher who talks too much. Maybe there is a song being sung over you, but we just don't know how to slow down and listen for it. I don't know what I'm saying. Please don't, I'm not going weird theologically with this and don't take it that way. I'm not saying like dogmatically that this is true. I'm just saying, what if? What if there's a song that's being sung the whole time, but I just haven't been listening to it? Because my God is the same today as he was yesterday and the same that he will be tomorrow. And maybe he's a God that we, we have the ability to sing because he's a singing God. Maybe he's not waiting till the end times to sing some songs. What if, what if God has his own song that he is singing? The lesson I think here, the application here is like, maybe it's a good idea to sometimes just to slow down and to sit quietly at his feet and just be like, man, Lord, if you're singing the song, can I, can I hear a little bit of that? I mean, if you're not singing the song, then that's fine. Nothing changes because I don't, I don't necessarily need the song because I have your word. And every song that was written in your word actually was written by you. So, but if you are singing a song, can I, can, I, can I hear the melody? Can I hear maybe the chorus or the bridge or maybe just a verse, maybe just something? There will come a day where he will be singing over his kids. That alone should get you stoked about heaven. It's like... What happened in the garden, it's, it's, it's recreated and, it, and it's perfect. And there'll never be a, a serpent who, you know, serpent, quote unquote. I know that the Hebrew word means something different, but no snakes going in the garden, so to speak. That'll never be a reality. And like what he intended at the beginning is what will be forever and ever. New heaven, new earth. And there's, I, I believe that there's going to be, why wouldn't there be animals? Why would he not go with animals? He created them at the beginning. Why would he change his mind and be like, no, you know, animals, that's a bad idea. No, he created them. He said, that, that's good. Those are really awesome. Those are good. Why wouldn't they be there? So that like excites me. You guys know the deal. Me and my bears and whatever and all that. But that's not top of the list, man. Top of the list is Jesus. Just being with Jesus, top of the list. But if Jesus and God Almighty and the Holy Spirit, triune God that we believe in, man, if they're singing a song, that just like takes it to a whole nother level. 
And here's Zephaniah is like, I'm just writing this letter. Like God showed me this thing. And times are kind of good where I'm at because my cousin, he's on the throne and he's, you know, instituting all this stuff. We're like, we're getting back on track and it seems like it's catching. Like, but what I see in this letter is that no, the enemy is on the horizon. They're still coming. God is going to bring the enemy in to take us away captive. But looking beyond all that, I think Zephaniah got one of the coolest insights of any prophet ever. He's like, wait a minute. We sing to him and for him all the time, but he'll be singing over us. It's amazing. The last little bit of this, the last few verses, 18 through 20, it says, I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. This even has some sort of fulfillment for us as well, because in in the 40s, Israel became a nation again. And they were brought back from all these surrounding nations to their land of origin, which has never happened in, in world history. Like a nation that was and was really just kind of decimated, so to speak, and to come back as a nation, like that's never happened. Not to that extent. So we see some of the fulfillment here as well. But verse 20, it says, at that time, I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Hosea 14, 4 says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. The Lord's like, look, I'm going to send them in. They're going to take you captive. But I know how to handle backsliders. I know how to handle the rebellious. And if that means Babylon's got to come in and take you captive until you learn your lessons, it's going to be 70 years, plus the land deserves 70 years of rest that they told God they would give it. The Lord's like, but I'm not done with you. But I'm not done with you. And he wasn't done with Israel. He's still not done with Israel. He's still working in those guys and through those guys. He has a plan for Israel. The blinders will be taken off. They will finally recognize that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yeshua is the Messiah. And man, true revival will break out amongst those people. It's going to be awesome. It'll be beautiful. I hope not to be here when that happens. Personally, I like the pre-trib option if I can have any kind of say. But, but the Lord's like, I'm not done with my people. And man, if anything, the way this letter ends, it should just be that encouragement for us of like, man, the Lord is so, he's so good and yes, he is just, yes, he is righteous, and yes, he will correct us when we need to be corrected. But ultimately, even in the midst of that, he loves you more than what you know, more than what you know. And what's waiting for you and myself on the other side of this small existence of life is pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. So whatever you got to go through on this side of heaven Look, times get tough. I understand that. But if I can remind you or direct you towards anything, read through Romans chapter 8. Read through Romans chapter 8. And man, the Lord can get you through difficult times and all that. But we hold on because, well, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. This is it. For, for us, for the Christ followers, like the best is yet to come. Hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken. Heart.
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're currently in a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Don't let the word minor fool you. Normally, its definition is widely known as not important, but that's not the case here. Many men from days of old spoke about the faithfulness of Jesus and his power to bring wayward souls back to him. Despite all of their poor choices, Jesus used different prophets to speak the saving truth of his righteousness into their lives. If you liked what you heard today, you have an opportunity to share it with others by making a donation to this ministry at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Donation tab. Feel free to explore other teachings by Pastor James as well. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary, Galveston. If you're looking for a church that you can call home, or you simply want to connect and pray with somebody, we'd love to be that for you. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Interested in visiting us at one of our services? Well, you have two options available to you, Sundays at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. If you can't get there, we invite you to use our Facebook live stream. We'd love to connect with you because there's hope and healing in Jesus. Our time is up for today's edition, but we'd encourage you to tune in next time to hear more about these prophets that had major messages from God. Join us for more wisdom that comes from the Word of God right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.